Hello, everyone. I'm TJ. And I'm Aaron. And, and we're, we're the, the OK, OK Petunias. Petunias. So this week, we are talking about one of my all-time favorite episodes, Love Me Tender. Mm-hmm. Now, you may have noticed that we have a little bit of a theme going, and we're sort of a more thematically driven podcast. We don't do our sequential ordering of the episodes, so we're just sort of doing ones on a theme. And of course, the theme here is romance. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So we once again rejoin the girls. <laughs> and this time, we get to focus more on Dorothy's love life. We sure do. So at this point, you know, when the episode begins, Dorothy is awaiting her blind date. But as it turns out, Sophia did not set him up with her up with a nice doctor. Instead, she fed her name into a computer program with Janet Gaynor's photo. Yes. <laughs> and the result, of course, is Eddie. Mm-hmm. The dapper, rather diminutive, rather plain looking John Feeney. Mm, does it take a computer to come up with this? <laughs> and of course, at first it seems as if it's a complete disaster. He, you know, is quite overcome by his love of his ex-wife, Roberta, mm-hmm. who he then takes Dorothy to Roberta's, mm-hmm. the restaurant that she owns, runs, and calls Roberta's. Yes. But despite this, they end up having a deeply and passionately physical relationship, mm-hmm. as well as a cappuccino maker <laughs> under the sheets. <laughs> And then, but this raises a crisis for Dorothy because, as Sophia says, sport donkey is not going to be enough one day. Mm-hmm. So eventually, Dorothy has to, uh, unfortunately, can't just let it taper off, but must instead end it definitively. Mm-hmm. But then, of course, the hilarity is that all of the other women also are smitten with Eddie's, mm-hmm. you know, love machine mm-hmm. persona. Exactly. And that's how the episode ends. Exactly. That's what I love about this because there's so many, again, so many expectations that are played with in this episode. And that's something that you will hear us say a lot. That's something we think the Golden Girls did well. Uh, That's why we think it's such a funny show is that it knows how to play with audience expectation. So starting out, we're going to go back to the beginning of the episode now. Uh, Of course, like as you said before, Dorothy's waiting for her blind date that Sophia has set her up for. Uh, And of course, Blanche is giving her a a few last minute tips on how to how to present herself as sexy so that she can make that nice first impression. And of course, Dorothy is failing terribly at doing these things. (laughs) Yes. And among other things, she strikes a sexy, sultry pose, (laughs) which is neither sexy nor particularly sultry. And then says, hello. And then of course, Rose comes in and she's like, oh, I thought I wanted you to see if you would be my, I was hoping you would be my date, Rose, which Rose then promptly responds, well, I'm kind of busy tonight, but what about next week? Yes. Uh, Simple, simple Rose. Simple, naive, childlike Rose. (laughs) But what I love about it, because Rose even comments on that sexy, sultry pose. What's wrong with your hip? hip? (laughs) And I mean, I, I do, as we, you know, have been noted elsewhere that, you know, B. Arthur got a little bit fed up, and by mm-hmm. little I mean a lot, with the constant jokes at her expense as mm-hmm. far as her appearance goes. But at this point, she's still kind of playing along. Mm-hmm. Like, we're in season four, so she's still, you know, willing to play along with the joke. Mm-hmm. But it is revealing then that, you know, there really is a sort of strange enough spark between Eddie and Dorothy. Mm-hmm. At least enough that he's able to, you know, make it go of it in the bedroom. Yeah, exactly. But then we find out about him that that's, that that's a him thing. That, that is a him <laughs> That he thing. really is just sort of a love machine. <laughs> but what I love about it, I'm glad that you brought up uh, the sort of the running gag of Dorothy just being so unattractive and how some of those jokes, you know, were based on her height, her physical appearance and all that kind of stuff. What I love in this episode is that it's all about her demeanor mm-hmm. and it's all about her persona. It's not about the stuff about her that she can't really change. It's about how she presents herself and just so that she's just sort of nervous and awkward and doesn't know what to do. 
Right. When meeting a man for the first time, as opposed to just her being unattractive. Right. I mean, that's a recurring thing. Like, we see it with Frank Nan, or not, not Frank Nan, sorry, with Frank Leahy. Mm-hmm. We see it with, a little bit with Glenn O'Brien, although clearly, like, she somehow struck up a romance with the gym teacher mm-hmm. or whatever he is. So, you know, it's striking that, you know, she has her moments, but she does have this awkwardness when mm-hmm. it comes to men, because she clearly has, like, an internalized inferiority complex. You know, exactly. of course, why wouldn't she with her mother constantly putting her down all the time? Exactly. And that, but what I love is how the show sort of plays on that because it could, with B. Arthur being a sort of tall, kind of a, a handsome woman, as she was. A tall, strapping woman with a passing resemblance to Fess Parker. Exactly. Like, they could have just kept the jokes about her appearance, but I like how so many of them aren't really about her appearance. Right, yeah, it's just that she's very awkward. Mm-hmm. It certainly doesn't help that she's dressed in those god-awful ugly clothes. Exactly, there's all of that stuff there. But again, so but back to this. So we finally, we, you know, we meet Eddie, and he shows up. And just kind of like the reveal that we talked about in a previous episode with Dr. Jonathan Newman, we see him for the first time that the character <laughs> see him for the first time. And it's, and Dorothy's immediate reaction was that it took a computer to come up with this. Yep. Because he's a little guy, a little bit dorky looking. In, you know, <laughs> yes, exactly. And it, you know, we'll get to this in the end when I gush about John Fiedler and how much I love him. But it, it is, you know, really striking that of all the character actors they could have chosen, they chose John Fiedler, who is mm-hmm. sort of, you know, well now known at this point in his career for being diminutive, playing diminutive, rather mousy characters. Mm-hmm. And this is exactly the kind of person, you know, it's clear from the moment he shows up in that suit, like, you mm-hmm. know, that this is the kind of persona he's going to easily slide into. Yep. And he's kind of a sad sack, too. Like, mm-hmm. you know, all he does is moon about his wife, Roberta. Mm, yep. And, but he said, as he insists, my therapist says I had to come out. She's like, exactly. well, maybe if we spoke to him together, says Dorothy. <laughs> yeah, like, Dorothy's like, let's get out of this date. <laughs> yes. But no, we're going to go ahead and do it. And then when she comes back to report on the date, because of course, that's the thing the girls always do whenever any of them has a date they come back and they talk about it right so you know one one brief sort of cultural note that i want to say is that you know i referenced earlier that sophia feeds in the picture of janet gaynor Mm -hmm. which is a very funny joke but when i'm and and one that comes back in very much golden girls fashion the joke can't just be used once right and he's like well i have a whole i have a whole like wall full of janet gaynors on my wall which (laughs) i have so many questions about this (laughs) about this whole gag so first of all if you don't know who janet gaynor is She's a very famous actress from the thir- roughly like the 30s or so. Mm-hmm. Like her most notable role was the original A Star Is Born. Not mm-hmm. to be confused with the Judy Garland version or the Barbara Streisand version or the Lady Gaga version, the very mm-hmm. first version. Yes. So you know, so we're talking about like 50 years ago mm-hmm. by this point. Why is a photo of Janet Gaynor being sold in wallets? Like yeah, that's that, what I have a qu- yeah, that's I, my question. I've wondered that for a very long time Cuz I was like I'm like, was was that actually a thing or something? Well, like, I know, but that's, it... yeah, exactly. It's like, it's it's a that's part of what makes the joke absurd and also funny. Like I referenced when we talked about the actor, the Titmouse part, which mm-hmm. makes no sense, but it's hilarious anyway. Mm-hmm. In the same way, I'm I'm just like I don't understand why they're. Having <laughs> yes. Clearly, this is not an isolated phenomenon. Mm-hmm. If he has a whole wall full of them, yes. So I'm just like, okay. I don't know what to do with this, where I'm going with this, but it just strikes me as funny that yes. that it would just choose Janet Gaynor, yes. a seemingly random actress from the 30s, yes. to say what's But about. again, that's one of the things that the Golden Girl sort of consistently does when it uses this type of joke structure. The humor is always in the specificity. Mm. It's like it, it doesn't do what a lot of more modern shows do where they try to keep everything general. So instead of just saying, I send in a fake photo, 
which could be funny, but not nearly as funny as naming a specific person like this. Right. I mean, this is also a joke, I think, that lands only if you remember who Janet Gaynor is. Exactly. Like, and that only works if you're a viewer of a certain age. Mm-hmm. So I, I like that aspect of it, that, you know, mm-hmm. it's a joke, it's a show that is appealing not just to the young folk of mm-hmm. who would have been born in, what, uh, 60 or later, mm-hmm. but also to people who, like, my grandparents' age. Yeah. So that's what I find appealing, is that it's one of those jokes that lands, you know, even if you don't know who Janet Gaynor is, it's still funny. Mm, exactly. Like, but you know, if you it's do ra- know, then it's, it's even, even funnier. funnier. Yes, which that's a real skill as a joke writer to be able to have that effect. And yeah. this, ladies and gentlemen, is why writers deserve money and why we need writers mm-hmm. and not AI. And I remember watching uh, one of the many interviews with uh, with Rue, who talked about the writers on the show. And one of the things that she was so impressed with was that a lot of those jokes came from a fairly young set of writers. Uh, like Winifred Hervey was still pretty darn young when she was working on the show. And I know she and she worked on the show for many, many seasons. Uh, and some of the other writers were fairly young. And she was all and Ruth said she was always impressed at these young writers coming up with that kind of material. Right. So this one was written by Susan Harris, Richard Vachy, and Tracy Gamble. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, some of the better mm-hmm. and directed of course by Terry Hughes. So, you know, the the team is together with this episode. Exactly. And you can tell. Like the the jokes just land nonstop. Like mm-hmm. it's a like a fire hose. <laughs> Of hilarity. Exactly. And I mean, clearly it's a fire host for Dorothy, but in a different way. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> we're in general a PG related, PG rated podcast, but we do have a little risque sometimes. Mm-hmm. Okay, look, we're talking about the Golden Girls. They talk about sex all, all the, the time. time. So let's get back to talking about sex. So yes. Dorothy comes back <laughs> and to talk about her date and she wants to talk to Blanche about it. <laughs> but of course, Rose is the one who's home and mm. ready and available to talk. But of course, she's not going to talk to Rose about this, which is already a setup for that something's going on. Because normally they would all three would just talk to whoever right. was there about this. But Dorothy, for some reason, doesn't want to give Rose this conversation. Right, because she doesn't think she's worldly or sophisticated enough. Mm-hmm. And so then when she finally agrees to talk to Rose, then she admits it, it to the audience as well what's been going on uh, with the relationship. Uh, that it's strictly physical. Yep. That they just have sex, that's it. They don't go to dinner, they don't do anything else. They just have sex and it's amazing, it's wonderful, and she loves it. And then Dorothy, and then so Rose is like, well, what's the problem? So Dorothy says, well, nothing, I guess. I just wanted to put it out there. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the highlight of that whole moment is when Dorothy says, well, we don't really have anything in common except for, you know, under the sheets. And then Rose says, in typical naive Rose fashion, What's under the sheets? Mm-hmm. And then Dorothy says, his cappuccino anger. <laughs> yes. All that in cappuccino too? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's again, one of those brilliant mm-hmm. moments because we know already that Rose and Dorothy are sort of diametrically opposed personality-wise. So, mm-hmm. of course, this would be the nature and the tenor of their conversation. Yes. Of course, Rose would be completely oblivious. Rose to is what... not going to get it and Dorothy's going to say something sarcastic. <laughs> but what, Matt, what is miraculous is just how effectively it works and how, mm. you know, how, once again, it lands with spectacular, like, precision. Mm-hmm. But then, of course, despite the fact that Dorothy claims to not have a problem, despite the fact that, obviously, there's something bothering her about the setup, she's doing that thing where she's like, I'm fine. I don't have a problem with this. I don't see a problem when she obviously has a problem. But she tells Rose that she doesn't want Rose to share this with anyone else. You know, just to keep it to herself. Not the kind of thing that you do when you're okay (laughs) with, you know, with what's going on. But Rose says, okay, fine, whatever. Then Dorothy goes into the kitchen. And then just a hot second later... (laughs) 
Blanche comes in and is like, Eddie's a love machine. Right. <laughs> because so, Rose is already right. spilled so the beans. Like, that has a little bit of setup, too, because it's somewhat later. Once again, Dorothy has come home, you know, saying, you know, there's no hardly any time to actually, like, have dinner or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then Sophie's like, something's, you know, fishy. Yeah. And then Blanche says in another favorite moment, there's something rotten in the state of Denmark. And then yes. Rose says... Well, it's their cheese. They, they refuse to use, to use preservatives. preservatives. <laughs> and then it's then of course Sophia goes on the fact finding mission, and then Blanche says this, you know, the, the fishy line, and then Rose says, "Well, Sophia will never tell her." Mm-hmm. And that's the key moment when Blanche is like, "Oh, mm-hmm. you do have a secret." Figured, yes. And of course, the the kicker is how she convinces Rose to tell her the truth, mm-hmm. which is that. She said she'd tickle her. Mm-hmm. So, of course, that's, again, a moment of hilarity that is just where each of the characters' personalities tie so intrinsically and tightly with the way the humor works. Mm-hmm. And that takes really sophisticated, like, writing to get that yeah. accomplishment. Exactly. Yeah, we're talking about a season four episode now. Right. So at this point, the creative team knows the characters, the actors know the characters, the audience knows the characters, so you can get away with even more stuff because there's so much familiarity already baked in because of the previous seasons. Right, and if you think about the scene where, like, the way the scene plays out in the kitchen where Sophia's kind of in interrogating Dorothy and Dorothy says well you know I'm not in love with him mm-hmm. and then of course that's the moment so she's like well then why are you going out with him says Sophia and then the door bursts open and mm-hmm. that's when Blanche says Eddie's a love machine mm-hmm. like it's it's a really well put together piece of like almost slapsticky humor just because of how effectively it uses the the, te- the space of the set mm-hmm. to sort of give you the sense of who these characters are and of course how they would all respond exactly and of course the, the you know the climax of this is Sophia's like well this is completely unacceptable mm-hmm. not because I'm judging you for you know having promiscuous sex or casual sex but because this isn't right for well, you and we gotta get there first because first because she says you know this is wrong for you <laughs> and of course the way that Dorothy first hears that comment is as a condemnation of the behavior that there's something that Sophie is making a judgment about casual sex and all that kind of stuff, which despite Dorothy's wisdom and the way that she normally understands people, I love the fact that she misunderstands this because it's her mother talking about her. And there's still that parent child dynamic there where the kid is like, my parent is disapproving of me. And that's kind of all they hear. (laughs) Yeah. And I love that. I mean, and I also, you know, so often in this show, Sophia is very sharp-tongued, acerbic. Mm-hmm. You know, but she is the mean little she is the mean old lady, like the paper boy says, and she often inflicts that on Dorothy. Yeah, but I think we have to contextualize that with a Sophia's generation of parenting is very like non what we would ex- consider acceptable parenting. Yes, <laughs> two or B, whatever I said. She's also like Italian, so yeah. there's a very different cultural specific specificity in how they engage with their younger the younger generation. Mm-hmm. And see, she really does love Dorothy, and she wants what's best for her. Mm-hmm. In the same way that when she, you know, tells John Naredi to get lost, like she's only looking out for Dorothy's best interest, mm-hmm. which is why she says, you know, I'm not saying the casual sex is bad. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's, you know, condemnatory. Lord knows, you know, she's willing to go out and have a good time mm-hmm. when yeah. it comes down to it. But she says it's wrong for you because as much as you will like this it won't be enough someday. Exactly. Like, cause she, she knows her daughter. Right. She knows the kind of person Dorothy is. And she very rightly, as Dorothy ultimately points out, <laughs> indicates that this is not going to be satisfying for her. 
Right. And and like she says, and again, it's that that wonderful parent child dynamic where you kind of want to rebel as the kid, and you can't because your parents actually fucking know you. <laughs> you know, it's like they're actually right when they say some of these things, and that's the thing that makes it so frustrating sometimes is that the parents actually right. <laughs> yeah, she's like you know, and it's also very amusingly delivered because Sophia says, you know, if if you are totally okay with this and you have no qualms at all, look me in the eye and tell me so. And I'll believe you. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Dorothy can't do it. She's, well, she can do it with one eye, but she can't do it with both of them. And, of course, it's just, you know, another deliciously delivered bit of comedy. And I think really says a lot about, you know, their relationship and mm-hmm. how, you know, how acutely Sophia understands and can really put Dorothy under the microscope and like force her to examine her own assumptions mm-hmm. about, even about herself. Yeah. And I mean, in this day and age, when everyone's sort of, you know, assume that they know the best about themselves. I actually find that kind of like refreshing Mm -hmm. because, you know, sometimes people do know more about you than you know about yourself. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes it's not even that you don't know it about yourself, but you don't want to face it because knowing, knowing it would get in the way of something you think you want. Yep. But the other person doesn't have that same investment in it. So they can just see clearly. (laughs) And I mean, what I appreciate about this sequence and part of the reason I love this episode, aside from the fact that it's hilarious is that it's one of those that really highlights the Golden Girls investment and giving its female characters like sexual agency mm-hmm. that is not moralistic. Like yes. the message of this is not that casual sex for older women is bad or even not to be desired. God knows, mm-hmm. you know, Blanche is always, yeah. you know, and I, I'm going to use this term because the show would use it, slutting around. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, she is unabashed in her ownership of her yes. own sexual agency in the same way that Sophia is. Mm-hmm. Now, Rose and Dorothy are a little bit different because each of them has a slightly different relationship with casual sex. Exactly. And that's what I love about it is because the show ultimately doesn't have a message about that sort of thing. It's like, you can do what you want. Right. I guess if the show had a message, it's whatever you want, just go do that. You go and be free and easy like Blanche, be a bit more of a prude like Rose, or pursue relationships, but they have to have some substance to them, like Dorothy. Right. Like, all of those are okay. <laughs> right, and it's easy to see. I mean, by this point, you know, we've been with Dorothy through some of her more tumultuous relationships with, you know, Frank realizing he's a priest, with, mm-hmm. um, you know, with Stan, most obviously, you know, with the guy whose name is, I'm blanking on, but, you know, hits on Blanche, mm-hmm. the guy who is interrupted by Sophia. So, you know, given this kind of string of lackluster romances, I can see why, narratively speaking, so or Dorothy would be like leaning into this and like mm-hmm. kind of just getting these kids because she's always the more responsible one. Yeah. The one who sort of has the more structured and, you know, cerebral approach to life. Mm-hmm. So I can see why it would be appealing, you know, mm-hmm. for her to exactly. lean into this relationship with Eddie because it's an escape. Right? It's yeah. a sort of, you know, not to get all literary theory, but it's very Dionysian. Like the sort yeah. of abandoning the self to, yeah. uh, to embrace pleasure in all of its forms. Exactly, but it also explains why ultimately it doesn't work. Right. Because you can't really abandon yourself to be yourself that doesn't quite work and that turns out that despite that string of you know not so great relationships and all that the reason they weren't so great is because they weren't the right relationship for Dorothy and ultimately she held out for the one that was right because that's who she is yeah ultimately at her core that's what she's gonna do right and I mean I want to just use this opportunity to sort of you know touch on a little bit what which we'll obviously get to but you know the Golden Girls is not exactly well known for its continuity mm-hmm. plot wise or narrative wise or family wise but I will say that one thing that stays remarkably true is the characters like they yes. stay true to themselves doesn't matter if they if they 
add or lose children or have wacky, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, conception dates or whatever. Yes. There's a remarkable consistency in terms of character. Yes. And that's what this incident reveals mm-hmm. is that this is Dorothy, who she is and who we know her to be. Yep. And I really appreciate that. And then, of course, you know, the moment comes when she has to split up with Eddie. Mm-hmm. And this is where we see the sort of chemistry. It's still inexplicable to us to the audience just because John Fiedler is just, he's just not that, he's not conventionally handsome. He's a very cute little guy. I know, but there's a difference between like cute and sexually appealing. Yes. At least for me. Um, he's cute in the way that like stuffed animals are cute. Yeah, because I'm about to tell somebody he's cute like a cartoon character. Right, exactly. <laughs> Which I'll get to that in a moment. Um, it's also, you know, he's just, he, I'm, he's not, I'm not much to look at as he himself <laughs> says, but apparently there's just something intangible about why he's irresistible to women and has been ever since he was a child. Mm-hmm, which is also just kind of a weird way to phrase that. But <laughs> but anyway, so not, not only does like Dorothy almost give in at the moment, which this is played for laughs, but it's just, you know, it's the inexplicable nature of human desire. Like mm-hmm. that's the, that's what we're getting at here. Like you, there's no explanation for why things yeah. work sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we see it cause then, you know, Dorothy and, Pardon me, Blanche and Rose sit down with Eddie, mm-hmm. and each of them feels a different axis of desire. Like for yes. Blanche, it's the mixture of Old Spice and musk mm-hmm. and a porterhouse steak. And and when all of this is happening, they're sitting on the couch with Blanche and Rose on either side of him, so they're kind of surrounding him and, then, and getting closer and closer and closer to him <laughs> as they explain all the things they find so attractive to him. It is wonderful. And Rose says he has the cutest ears I've ever seen. They make you look like Bambi. Again, not exactly what I think of as sexually appealing, but given that Rose also makes love to sound, to the soundtrack of or the cast recording of Sound of Norway. Yes. Sound of Norway. I'm not surprised. And then of course, you know, the kicker though is that Sophia then shows is up. Is it of course again? Because <laughs> we says, have to have Sophia arriving. Because <laughs> right. And then she says, "What's that birthmark on your neck?" I never noticed that birthmark on your neck. And he's like, "What birthmark? That one." She like jumps into his arms. And she straddles him. <laughs> again, a moment of exquisitely crafted physical comedy because yes. all four of them are just really so masterful in controlling their bodies. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, a lot of people talk about the Golden Girls and its dialogue, but it's the physical comedy and the extent to which these women really know how to use their bodies to maximum effect mm-hmm. to work with the dialogue that I think works really well. Exactly. And what I love about this is because by season four, we're really leaning into to some absurdity at various times as a part of the main plot line. So not like a dream sequence or anything like that, but as part of the plot. Uh, of having this 80-some-odd-year-old woman jump up into his arms and start going at him. There's there's something absolutely wonderful about that. Right. So, you know, as, as we always do, if we can, I do want to talk a little bit about John Fiedler, which I've alluded to this before, but it's worth sort of dwelling on him because he's a pretty well-known historical figure within television. Like, he's a pretty mm-hmm. well-known character actor. For me, growing up, John Fiedler will always be the voice of Piglet in Winnie the Pooh. Mm-hmm. Like, he voiced it in the original animated film, uh, which is sort of strung together. Um, he played the voice of Piglet in many of the cartoons that were produced in the 80s, including when this show was on the air. Um, I believe I have to look the dates, but they're really close together. But he was also in a lot of other TV shows as well. You know, and he the Bob Newhart show. Mm-hmm. So he has this kind of persona. So if you know John Fiedler from anything, it's probably the Bob Newhart show or as the voice of Piglet. Again... Neither of which 
really make him into a figure of like sexual desire (laughs) from my point of view. Um, But I will say that, you know, that's what I really enjoy about John Fiedler is he is one of those character actors who knew what he was doing Mm -hmm. and could make the most of that, even in the limited screen time that he has. Yes. So I really enjoy that about that, his, that particular character. And as many times I watch this episode, I love it more and more each time. Mm -hmm. The same here. It's one of those that I I feel like with this episode, I forget how funny it is until I watch it again. And I'm like, oh, that's hilarious. And then I kind of forget again. And then I watch it again. I'm like, oh, man, it's so funny. Because it's so many of the little moments of the timing is so wonderful for all of the jokes uh, throughout this episode. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, that's something that I think works and helps make, again, explain why the Golden Girls remains so popular. Like, because the jokes continue to land. Like, they're, as we said, like, some of them are oddly specific, like mm-hmm. Janet Gaynor, but some are just transcendent. Like, this is an episode that feels as funny today as it did when I watched it in high school or when I watched it as a kid. Mm-hmm. Like, it just, the jokes hold up to a remarkable degree. Yeah. And something that I like about this one, and it could just be that since they've already sort of gone into this well with uh, Rose and Dr. Jonathan Newman in the season one episode, A Little Romance, uh, Jonathan. Uh, I'm sorry, yeah, Don Fiedler's a, li- a little-ish guy. He's not an actual dwarf, right. but he's a smaller guy, kind of like me. <laughs> a smaller-bodied guy. And, of course, he's paired up with, you know, Dorothy, Betty Arthur, who's 5'10". So there's a lot of implicit humor with him just being this little-ish kind of guy with this taller woman, but it's never really, t- it's never talked about in that way. And that's something that I think the show did well as it grew, because it didn't make an issue explicitly out of all of this. It just sort of let the audience bring its own assumptions about male attractiveness and all of that stuff to the to the episode without the episode itself spelling out right you know why he might be seen as not particularly desirable they kind of leave it vague and they just kind of let his persona do the work right i mean it's almost as if like with fiedler he's coming straight off of like his character in the bob newhart show where he's mm-hmm. a very hand-packed husband yes so it's just if you kind of like the last 10 years hadn't happened he just sort of stepped off the off the like mm-hmm. the set of the bob newhart show and it's there in his physiognomy like as you say he's a short guy he's bald like but he also has that kind of husky slash cartoonish character voice mm-hmm. that you know and it's a very soft like mm-hmm. the, the way that his voice works he's is very, very soft spoken yes but also kind of it's this faintly husky mm-hmm. so it's a, it's an interestingly androgynous i guess is what i'm getting at kind of yeah. performance in, yes. in uh, his body and star persona mm-hmm. and like i said and what i love about it is that they just let that performance do the work mm-hmm. there's no explicit description of him about like what specifically would be unattractive about him right it's just you just let him be this kind of awkward kind of nerdy small guy right of course the most outlandish moments all take place off camera like mm-hmm. when he's sobbing yes <laughs> which i was just that's what made me snort just now because i was thinking about dorothy relating that you know the disaster of their first date mm-hmm. was that he begged Roberta to come back to him and then she begged Roberta to come back to him yes. and then he sobbed into his crap like the whole thing is but all of that sort of emotionality is kind of not on stage because mm-hmm. as far you know Fiedler's performance is rather subdued so the brilliance of it lies and we keep his physical appearance in mind as we recall also mm-hmm. the sort of ridiculous things that have happened what we haven't seen yes and what i love again and that's the golden girls doing what sitcoms like golden girls do well uh is describing off-screen 
events in such in terms that a real life enactment of those scenes could never live up to like i don't think there's a way to film that moment that could be as funny as what we imagine based on dorothy's description of it i mean not to get all highfalutin but dramaturgically it works very effectively Mm -hmm. like it's almost like a play like you know certain important events happen off stage that give importance and you know power to things that don't Mm -hmm. or that do i'm sorry exactly so now that I've used the word dramaturgically, I think it's probably... Yeah, I think it's time for us to go now. I have to say, I think it's probably t- time that we exunt, like, so we can get out of this. All right, so next week we'll be, you know, returning with you all. We haven't yet settled on next week's episode, but when we do, you'll be the first to hear about it. Mm-hmm. So for the OK Petunias, I'm TJ. And I'm Aaron. And we will talk to you next week. <laughs>